KDAL's Master Gardener, Bob Olin. And away we go with the uh, Bob Olin Show here on a Tuesday. Good morning, Bob. Hey, good morning, Dave. That's quite a forecast you had for us there. Yeah, it's going to be wet for the first couple of days here this week, and then towards the weekend, the wet will turn to snow, and here we go, winter time. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't stay too long, but we do never really know. We do like early snow. Actually, uh, you know, the great thing about gardening and farming is that uh, anytime you get some of that rain in the forecast before you got frost in the ground, mm-hmm. we're very appreciative. So we got a little rain for another day or two here. Um, you know, we've been we've been just about normal, but a little on the dry side. Much of the state of Minnesota, much right. of the country is actually on the dry side. So that rain doesn't do us any good if we've got things uh, frosted up. A lot of things roll off, but right now we should be able to absorb some of that. Uh, a lot of uh, perennial material still actively growing. Uh, even if you can't see it on the upper portion of the plant, it's certainly down to the roots and the rhizomes. The grass is still green, needs a little bit of that water. So actually... That's not such a bad forecast. It just comes as a shock always to think that we're we're heading for a little bit more uh, wintertime fun, aren't we, Dave? Yeah, that's for sure. And we got wind, too, to deal with. Uh, there will be gale warnings up on the lake, strong northeasterly winds, too, as the week goes along. And that's, of course, in addition to the winds we had on Sunday, which pretty much knocked all the leaves off the trees. 50-mile-an-hour yeah, winds on uh, Sunday, this past Sunday. Yes, and that uh, that makes for quite a combination you know, I think of some of my Finnish, Finnish friends, the old motto, uh, there's no such thing as bad weather, there's only bad clothing. <laughs> yeah. So I think I'm going to have to upgrade a little of my clothing to break a little bit of that wind. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's something. But Dave, you know, we have a little time here. Uh, folks, if they haven't started to compost, you know, we look mm-hmm. at uh, leaves a little differently. Uh, it's not just a chore. Leaves are a wonderful feedstock. Uh, most of our soils with eastern Minnesota, northwestern Wisconsin, tend to be very low in organic. Uh, this is totally different than what you have down the southern parts of both Wisconsin as well as Minnesota, where you've got these deep, rich loams. Uh, that's because there's higher organic content. That, that black content or black color comes from this organic content, which can be as high as 20 25%. Well, we weren't blessed with that here, and that must have been just uh, thousands and thousands of years of uh, vegetative growing, vegetation growing, and then that decaying down into the soil. So we really have to think a little bit about continuing to add organics to our soils, and one of the cheapest, least expensive uh, materials is compost. So you're out there, you got leaves on the lawn, you might still want to mow that lawn one last time. Once again, we don't really like to go into winter with a real long lawn. The problem with that is that it tends to compact and trap moisture, and when you trap moisture, You've got an environment that's very conducive for disease, in this case, fungal disease, and uh, this can be damaging to a lawn. So we want to take a look at the next couple of days. Maybe there's an opportunity. Pick up those leaves. You know, one of the things uh, that, that prevents composting from working efficiently, Dave, is uh, we typically, in the fall, will dry, have a very dry uh, source of uh, material in the leaves, and we need to bring some water. And oftentimes, it might compost pile even drag the hose up and try to bring some water to that. If we get a little moisture with it, uh, that's all good. Work it into the pile. Make sure you got a little nitrogen there. That can certainly come from your uh, grass clippings, anything that's green. That green chlorophyll molecule of course is a uh, magnesium surrounded by four big nitrogen atoms and it's that nitrogen that the plants use to incorporate into a protein and it's also the uh, the source for a lot of that bacterial activity. Mm-hmm. To get a compost pile really running fast, you got to keep your workers happy. 
in the workers are bacteria and fungi a little later in the cycle, but bacteria initially, and they need the food, which they get the energy source from the leaves as they break down this carbon structure. But to go and emulsify rapidly, which is what you really want, you have to have adequate moisture, you have to have adequate oxygen, and then you need this nitrogen source uh, to build protein so they can build their numbers and their, their populations very fast. So in a nutshell, Dave, some nitrogen with those leaves, adequate moisture, build a nice big fluffy pile. You might even get some of those pine needles in there. They're slow to break down, but they actually improve the structure of the pile so we get oxygen that works its way in. So oxygen, nitrogen, a good energy source in the leaves, and then uh, adequate moisture, about 20% or so. And then we've got uh, compost piles that are going to take off. They're going to get warm. If you do it right, they'll get warm right through the winter months. And that's one caveat. If you do it right, we're all challenged a little bit by that. But think about some of these things. Think about those leaves as a very valuable resource to you that you can incorporate into all your gardens. You can put on the lawn if you like. Mm-hmm. Extremely valuable and important for good gardening here in the Northland. Yeah, if you don't uh, have the time or the ambition to do your own composting, you can, uh, I guess, get it at uh, WLSSD in the spring. Well, that's right. And, of course, they're professional composters. They've got a big mm-hmm. municipal system there, actually very valuable uh, facility for our community. So... If you're raking things up, and they'll take all the brush, they chop ah, that up, sure. it becomes a nitrogen source as well. Let's be very careful. We don't want to bring anything but clean organics in there. And I know they, uh, when you drop materials off, they're careful because what goes in uh, determines what comes out the other end. So they want nice, clean material that comes down there. They don't want necessarily any construction materials or anything like that. So they watch for that carefully. And they do a nice job of composting. And then, of course, the product, they'll compost through the winter months, and then the product will be ready to go for you next spring when you can pick it up and bagged as their garden green product, or certainly you can pick it up by the truckload as well. So it's a good, valuable resource. That all used to just go into the landfill and caused all kinds of problems. In addition to using up a lot of space, it now becomes uh, leaves and brush and yard waste become feedstock for a very valuable component for our gardener. When did uh, composting begin, Bob? Was this a happy accident that somebody just threw a big pile of stuff together and, hey, look what we got? Well, you know, nature has been doing it forever. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I mentioned the fact that, uh, you know, a lot of our loams down in southern Minnesota, Iowa, these deep, rich black loams, that's all composted material, right. of course. Uh, so it's a very natural process. Uh, We've accelerated it just a little bit. I think awareness really came about maybe about in the 50s that it became very important to us. And uh, there have been a couple of uh, books, uh, a complete book of composting. I'll just mention that one. I look at the science. The science has evolved a little bit, and some of the uh, science involved in that text uh, is no longer really accurate. But uh, nonetheless, it gives you some basics to work from. And uh, so I think that was about in the 50s when that began to take off and gardeners began to realize how valuable compost really is. I'm guessing you could probably check the Internet and they'd let you know uh, how to compost. Yeah, there's oh, there's all kinds of material yeah. flying around out there <laughs> without a doubt. Hopefully uh, some of it's accurate, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we hope so at least. Uh, once again, don't. Don't fall for a lot of uh, devices. There are a lot of composting devices. There are a lot of what they call inoculums, which are starter materials. You really don't need that. Uh, What you really need to go, and again, we we focus on these components. You've got your feedstock, which is going to be uh, garden refuse. It's going to be 
uh, leaves, needles, and so forth, and you got to have that, and that's what we're trying to break down, but we got to have a nitrogen source. Uh, anything that's green, you can also use a, a synthetic nitrogen bag of fertilizer. Don't use any herbicide in there, but certainly you can use some of that in there. And maybe nature will bring us the moisture that we need and then try to build a nice big fluffy pile. The bigger the better, it tends to self-insulate. If you can build a four or five foot pile, uh, then it insulates from the cold weather and that composting process continues right down in the center of the pile, Dave. What about kitchen scraps now? Should we be saving those and putting those in? Well, we love kitchen scraps. As a matter of fact, we have uh, a term called the carbon-nitrogen ratio. Mm -hmm. So ideally, we really want to have about uh, a ratio of uh, 30 to 1, 30 parts carbon to 1 part nitrogen. Now, leaves can be uh, 2, 3, 400 parts to 1. That's why we have to build up that nitrogen component. But kitchen uh, waste is just about naturally 30 to 1. It's got plenty of moisture. Uh, kitchen, kitchen waste, everything from banana peels to potato peels and everything else is a very valuable component and it just composts down very readily for you in, a, in an aerobic situation. So very, very valuable. We get lots of questions about uh, eggshells. They're going to be just fine. They take a while to, to break that, that calcium down. Uh, certainly uh, coffee grounds, valuable material to put in there. Tends to be acidic, but the pile tends to go acidic initially. That's why we want to complete the compost process. Rather than just putting a lot of this material up on the garden itself and, and rototilling it in, we want to compost it first because we've got kind of an intermediate process, intermediary process that goes on here that'll pull a lot of nitrogen out of your soil, can also create some acids in the and if you put it just on the pile rototill it in we tend to have a lot of compaction we don't get the oxygen we need and these products really don't break down as readily as they should so all your leaves uh, refuse garden scraps they should all be composted first and then that finished compost product should be placed and rototilled into the garden all right excellent information on composting we'll be back more of the bob olin show coming up we're at 9:27 now at kdal all right, away we go again, Bob. Uh, we should mention that the delayed Powerball numbers are now in. So if you uh, bought a ticket and you're hoping to win that $1.9 billion, the uh, numbers were delayed from last night, but they've now been announced. The numbers are 10, 33, 41, 47, and 56. The Powerball is 10. If you got all those numbers, you are a, well, billionaire. <laughs> You can also win other prizes if you got uh, some of the uh, other numbers, but not all of them. So there you go. Well, isn't that interesting? Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that, that's for sure. I did not even buy a ticket, so my chances of winning are even less. <laughs> yeah, mine are as well. <laughs> uh, I did, I wouldn't even have any idea what to do with that. The idea <laughs> is that it tends to be so much money, it makes people's lives very difficult. Yeah, well, you would think. <laughs> yeah, you would think. <laughs> the great thing is that uh, gardening is what brings you great joy, even this time of year, Dave. <laughs> yeah, now it's we got winter on the way, obviously. So, how do we prepare our garden for winter? Yeah, I want to. I want to mention a couple of things here, real quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we had a very, uh, uh, actually, a quite exceptional growing season. We had nice combinations. Now we got a large listening audience, and I know in the northern part of Minnesota as well as uh, parts of Wisconsin, there. It was very, very wet, very, very moist. We saw some diseases there because of that. We haven't seen before late blight on tomatoes and potatoes is the one that really comes to mind. It was very prevalent far north, very devastating. Uh, a lot of these, these are foliar diseases, and uh, there's 
a lot of foliage probably still in the gardens. I've still got plots myself. I have to admit that I've got to get cleaned up. Maybe we get a chance to one of the evenings coming up here uh, to get that done. But, uh, you know, the, these uh, fungal diseases got a lot of spores on them, so we want to get them out of the garden. We don't want to have any of that material rototilled into the soil. We want to get it off. If you're a good composter, let's get it in that comp pile, do the things we talked about, it, get it running hot. Incidentally, uh, there are compost thermometers. Whether or not you're composting efficiently, the uh, temperature is a good guide. You want to get your temperatures certainly above 100 degrees, and actually they'll go pretty fast if things are uh, are properly assembled there. If you got all the components we talked about, you can get those temperatures within a couple of days. If you don't have a compost thermometer, then uh, I use just a piece of rebar, stick it in the pile, let it sit for a while, pull it out if the bar is warm or hot. I figure I'm doing a pretty good job. If it comes out as cold as I jam it in there, then I've got to work on my process just a little bit. But if you're a good composter, let's take all this garden refuse. Let's get it. We don't want to leave it in the garden. We don't want to till it into the garden. We want to get it off, and we want to get it into a well-managed compost pile. Or if you don't have that, we certainly have got uh, disposal methods. And again, the the sanitary district will take that kind of material. They're efficient composters. Hot temperatures will destroy those fungal spores. So they're not concerned about that. They'll take care of it. But uh, what you don't want to do is you don't want to leave it on the plot. You don't want to leave it in a big uncovered pile right at the end of your uh, your garden because those spores will be there through the winter and then potentially cause you a fair amount of problems next year. You know, Dave, we got things here. Uh, we got some snow coming. We don't know if this is what's going to stay. But a uh, couple things real quickly. Try to get those bulbs in the ground. If you got tulips for next spring, if you got some garlic, uh, this looks like it's going to be your uh, last opportunity. You might have to throw on some boots and a raincoat to get it done. <laughs> but try to <laughs> try to get those in the ground before the ground obviously freezes up. People will oftentimes have tulips and say, I didn't get them in the ground. Can I plant them in the spring? Not really. It doesn't work out very well. You can force them, and we could talk about that uh, for an indoor display if you if faced with that. But Anytime you have the opportunity, even if it's very late, try to get uh, bulbs into the ground. Uh, don't get them in there too deeply. You might want to uh, get a little clean straw on the outside, and now will probably be the time to protect tender perennials. I think uh, we've got a number of people growing their own strawberries, flower buds set the fall. We want them acclimated to cooler temperatures, but not extremely cold temperatures. Sounds like they've got those real cold temperatures coming, so I think I'd be getting some straw on protect those flower buds for next spring other tender bulbs that you might have let's get some straw in there i like to put straw in the garlic so that uh you know it helps with weed control and it also really helps with the extremely cold temperatures in the event that we don't keep any snow and we get uh cold that really does penetrate so certainly dave there's there's plenty to do uh, let's pull a soil test if you haven't done that as well. Pretty hard to do that with a chisel after they freeze up. So get in there, and uh, maybe we can walk folks through that process. We're big believers in soil testing. Uh, you should get at least one good test uh, from a certified lab, University of Minnesota, with University of Wisconsin, both certified labs or soil tests. Soils departments have good test facilities. Uh, take your choice. Uh, look them up on the web, uh, University of Minnesota Soil Testing Lab. All the instructions are there. Uh, the price is a price structure there for your, just your general uh, lab tests. But make sure you get something that's reliable. 
we see a lot of test kits that are out there, and the reliability is really questionable, the things you'll buy off the counter. So we'd get one good test from a certified lab. Certified means uh, they guarantee the results if they had to go to court, and uh, a lot of fertility goes in the ground based on those soil tests, so they better be accurate. I know the University of Minnesota saves half-year sample so that if there ever is a problem, uh, they can go back and retest uh, that, that other component. So uh, they're very professional about it. You'll get good, reliable results. Don't have to do it every year unless you have a major situation you want to correct, but you'd be surprised whether it's the pH, whether it's the nutrient levels, whether it's the organic level. You get all of this information, and it's a very, very valuable component to gardening success. Make sure you've got the components that those plants need to grow on, all the nutrients, as well as the acid-base ratios in a proper range for the plants you're trying to grow, Dave. Uh, the soil that you send in, where should you get it from? The top, the bottom, the middle? Or what's the best uh, soil to use? Well, what we really want to do is, first, you don't want any organic. So say you're going out in your garden. Don't mm-hmm. take a uh, just a shovel full of uh, refuse that's on the upper portion because that obviously will, grow your, will throw your natural organic levels off. Ah. So you want to be down in the root zone. You want to take what we call a sipple. So get a nice, clean, five-gallon poly pail. We don't want galvanized because that zinc, of course, on there, and that mm. can throw the tests off. So we want a nice, clean poly pail. And then uh, you'll, you'll be down about uh, four to six inches. Take a subsample there, throw it in the bucket, and take maybe another eight, nine, ten of these throughout the garden plot, mix them all together so that you have a composite sample, and this then gives you a pretty good idea of uh, the composition of your garden itself. So we take several subsamples, then we just send them a small uh, bag, they'll take it in, you don't necessarily need the sample bags that they provide, you can send it down in a bag, they'll give you all these instructions, you can buy it out a little bit, water doesn't uh, make much difference at all to the composition. So you got a little bit less weight to, to ship, if you like. You'll mail it down. They're pretty good about getting the results back, particularly this time of year. Everyone's really busy in the spring. So <laughs> I suppose. Test results, those test results come back quite slowly in the spring, but they come back rapidly in the fall. And then you can still make some adjustments. If it says add lime, you can still put that lime even on top of the snow if that's the situation. Mm-hmm. So you can actually make some of the adjustments uh, yet in the fall based on those soil test results. Right. Great activity, something everybody should uh, should do at least once so that you're well aware of what your base level of nutrients is, what your base pH is. These are all components that are really important to successful gardening. Yet. When they send the results back, do they give you clues as to what it needs then or just give you the facts and figures? No, they'll, they'll tell you what it needs. Ah. And uh, so you want to specify what you're growing. If you're growing perennial flowers, mm-hmm. put it down there. If you're growing blueberries, put it down there wow. on, the, on the actual test form, and then they will adjust uh, the recommendations both. You know, if you need to adjust the pH, they'll give you some idea how to adjust the pH, the acid-base ratio. If you're low in phosphorus or potassium, they'll also indicate to you how you can make that up in the type of uh, composition. So they'll send you a hard copy. They'll also email out results to you if you'd prefer. All right. Thank you, Bob. We're coming up on 940. It's the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. All right. The Bob Olin Show continues with none other than Bob Olin. Uh, By the way, here's (laughs) the latest from the Weather Service. Widespread rainfall expected tonight through Thursday. Thunderstorms are possible, too. 
Uh, heavy rainfall amounts could lead to minor flooding in northwest Wisconsin and along the I-35 corridor in Minnesota on Thursday. Then Thursday afternoon through Friday, rain changes to snow from west to east. Heavy snow accumulations possible Thursday night into Friday, most likely in northeast Minnesota. Uh, especially away from the lake, a winter storm watch issued for portions of northeast Minnesota for uh, Thursday night and Friday. Lingering lake effect snows then on Saturday across the south shore snow belt in northern Iron and Ashland counties. So that's the latest on the weather situation for the rest of this weekend of the weekend. Wow, Dave, that's quite a forecast. That doesn't seem to be getting too much better. A little bit of wear and a little bit colder, apparently, huh? But a lot of rain, too, so if we need uh, moisture in the soil, we'll be getting it. Yeah, that's the thing. And, you know, we talked a little bit about the leaves in the lawn. Mm -hmm. If you get them raked off, you really want that moisture not sitting on the leaves where we get it trapped. And I mentioned the the potential for disease there. If you get those off, or there are mulching mowers that do a pretty good job to chop the leaves up, let's get it off. So that rain soaks in. Actually, the grass is pretty green right now and still actively growing. You know, our good perennial grass species, our common Kentucky bluegrass, has got this very extensive underground stem system uh, called rhizomatous, called rhizomatous grasses for that reason. Uh, underground stems that really are, are going to remain alive, of course, through the entire winter months. The blades tend to break down, but the... Uh, the rhizomes or these underground stems are really going to be actively growing. They could use the moisture, but if you've got a big blanket of leaves on top of it, unfortunately, it doesn't get down where it should go. It kind of gets trapped in between. So if you can get them off, either raking them off, and again, uh, sounds as if for this this is going to begin when, Dave? Did you say tonight the rain's going to Yeah, the in? rain will start either later this afternoon or tonight and then continue really through the rest of the week before it turns over to snow. Okay, so if you're fortunate enough to find the time... Uh, get it off, even if uh, got to put a little, if it's light to begin with, you got to put a little raincoat on, get it off if you possibly can get it in. And again, look at it this way. Uh, you've got that moisture, so those leaves that are going to be a little damp going into the compost pile, that's exceptional for starting that uh, particular compost process. You know, Dave, we, I often get the question from people about pine needles. We've got a lot of pines, beautiful part of our landscape, actually, the white pines uh, with the slightly shorter needles, and of course, uh, spruce with even shorter needles than our reds or our Norway pines. Uh, you know, they're they're just about 100% carbon. Uh, they can certainly be worked into the compost pile. Once again, they're going to be a little slower to break down, and uh, you want to make sure that you've got a nitrogen source there uh, to, to facilitate that breakdown process. But you can also leave them in a the pile because they break down slowly. Uh, they, uh, they make a good mulch for weed control and moisture retention. So uh, pine needles definitely have their place. Uh, you can certainly pick them up if you've got a lot of them. If you've got a bagging more, you can pick them up that way. So all of these components in our landscape really have their place. So I just, because I work on this in my own mind as I'm busy <laughs> trying to do these tasks myself, uh, you look at it this way, in a very positive way. I really need as many leaves as I can get because we never have enough uh, organics. We never have enough compost. And I certainly can use those pine needles, and that's one thing I will actually do. I'll, I've got one area where I've got pines. I'll pick them up with a bag mower, get them in a great big pile. I'll let them sit through the winter. I won't add any nitrogen because I'm going to use those as a mulch, and I don't want them to break down. So I'll use them for weed control next year, lay your tomatoes out, and after the soil's warmed a little bit, you can spread those pine needles 
Uh, they don't create an acid soil. That's an urban myth. Uh, our soils are naturally acidic. Uh, they're just about neutral, so get them up on the soil surface. That keeps the annual weed seed from germinating because it's going to be dark. Most weed seeds need some light to germinate. So you've got a nice blanket on top, and it also will help retain some moisture uh, in the soil if we hit a dry period. So everything has its place. Everything's valuable. And uh, But don't overlook, if you can possibly get out under this rain, it sounds like it's a good opportunity to do a little bit of clean up the garden as well as on the uh, on the uh, lawn surface, and I'm thinking about them myself. I'm looking at my schedule. I think I'll be the guy if I'm going to get this done that'll be out there with a headlamp and a raincoat oh, on boy. to get some of this done. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all part of the fun. I really think being outside, being out there in the natural environment, uh, you know, we were we evolved through this long period of time where we didn't have the comforts of home, and we didn't have video screens everywhere, and I think anything you could do to get outside in the natural environment is good for your physical health, as well as your uh, your mental health as well, Dave. I'm uh, got a question about pine needles. They're basically pine trees or evergreens. When do the needles fall? Do they fall in the fall Ooh. like the leaves or no? Uh, yeah, absolutely, and that's a real good point. This is one thing that oftentimes alarms people. They look at yeah. an evergreen and <laughs> everything is uh, tur- they think everything's turning yellow, and it's just a portion, of course, that yeah. falls every year. And uh, that depends on the tree just a little bit, but a lot of them drop all their leaves over about a three-year period. Mm. So there's new growth coming all the time, and then as you work your way down the stem from the the far shoot or the terminal shoot, uh, these leaves do begin to fall down. They fall about, in most cases, about the same time deciduous leaves fall. Mm. So most of those pine needles are on the ground right now at this point, and where people were concerned about their their, uh, evergreens being diseased, a lot of those leaves have fallen, and lo and behold, uh, people think the, uh, the the tree has recovered from the disease because they no longer see the <laughs> yellowing. When in fact, all those old needles just fell to the ground. So it's all natural. Eh? It's all natural, mm-hmm. and they just they just don't drop them all. A deciduous uh, tree, of course, drops them all every year, but a pine drops just a portion. They grow some new ones the next year from the terminal buds and then we uh, we drop some of the older ones every year oftentimes that's on about a three year rotation right. to get to move them all so, but they are active you know a pine tree is still green tissue there's plenty of light mm-hmm. they're actually photosynthesizing uh, during the winter months and that's what keeps uh, certainly keeps the tree alive or certainly a part of it so still have a function anytime there's green tissue up there uh, sugars are being produced oxygen is being released and this whole process that goes down, it just slows down quite considerably during the winter months. Dave. All right. Well, let's take another break, Bob. We'll be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on a Tuesday from KDAL. And we're back. Final portion of the Bob Olin Show here on a Tuesday. Bob, another question about arborvitaes. Do we need to wrap those things in burlap, maybe for protection from the winter winds or maybe the deer? Yeah, I think both, actually. <laughs> and, uh, you're right, our arborvitae, it's uh, considered to be deer candy, a beautiful tree, well adapted for the area, but uh, vulnerable to those northwest winds and vulnerable to deer pressure. So burlap's probably the best material because it's permeable. It uh, cuts the wind, but it doesn't trap any moisture behind it. Ah. Wrapping in plastic polys, we really don't like for this purpose. So burlap from a good fabric store or some other source is going to be uh, your best bet. A lot of people going to be out there uh, wrapping that. Let me ask you this, Dave. Any more apples on the tree yet? Uh, most of them fell off. They're all at the bottom of the tree, and the deer have yet to get to them, so they must have plenty to eat elsewhere. But 
Could be. Could yeah, be all the leaves day. blew off on Sunday, and most of the apples, there's still a few hangers on, but they'll fall eventually, I'm sure. I'll shake them down. Yeah, they will. Uh, we have some cold weather coming, you know, apples will. And I think you've taken some of those down just recently. They were still mm-hmm. pretty good, weren't they, Dave? Yeah, they certainly were, and I just I couldn't get them all. So. <laughs> right, right. Some more tall, you need a real uh, long apple puller on a pole. But uh, if people have apples, that's the other thing. I think this is the point at which they really all have to come down if right. you want to pull them out. And, uh, you know, we talked just a little bit about all the different activities. Hopefully, uh, maybe this rain gets delayed a little bit so we can all wrap up a little bit. Good gardening season overall. Uh, you know, we hear all about the kales everywhere from Europe to the southwestern portion of the United States, everything being hot and dry. And uh, we're pretty fortunate. We had really a very moderate year. You know, it's very interesting, Dave, as I looked at all the weather statistics. Uh, we typically had these real intense rainfall events. Now, maybe we're going to get it over the next couple of days here because I guess the season isn't really done. But during our growing season, what we consider to be meteorological summer, June, July, August, where most of the growing really occurs, uh, we never had these really intense rains. We had uh, nice rains followed up by sunlight, and uh, that dried things down. So with the exception of points farther north where they had more moisture and it remained wet, uh, we dried things down. We saw uh, less fungal disease in the southern part of St. Louis County than we certainly did in the north. But uh, that's all determined by the amount of rain we have in the, uh, and the amount of sunlight and how quickly we can dry things down, dry that foliage down. So overall, I think a pretty good season. We can put things to, uh, put things to bed right now at this point. And then we can look forward to all of those seed catalogs. I already have some in the mail, so it's amazing how they jump the season. I, I got my first about 10 days ago, and I was a little surprised. That was about Halloween instead of Thanksgiving. So, well, can you uh, order those too soon, or does it matter? I suppose if you get them now, they'll still be good in the spring. Well, they will be, because yeah. they're just harvesting now. You want to be careful how you store any of that seed. <laughs> We did see shortages again this year on specific ah. varieties, so I'm I'm thinking that uh, you might want to think about, you know, uh, January February uh, order this year. Uh, gardening is a great big activity, and some of these varieties, particularly some of the newer All American selections, where there isn't a great deal of seed being produced yet, uh, some of these can be limited supply. So. I know I got short on one variety, which surprised me a little bit because I thought there was plenty out there, but there must have been an awful lot of gardeners out there this year, and I <laughs> I would anticipate a lot of people got the bug, and we'll see this activity continuing even into next year. But we have time, but I'm thinking maybe early to late winter rather than early spring is a good time to get a seed order in, Dave. Well, get those, uh, yeah, uh, I guess, gardens cleaned up this afternoon if you can because the rain will start later this afternoon or tonight. By the way, the dark set's in, too, pretty early now. 4.43 is sunset thanks to the lack of daylight saving time. Yeah, we really do feel that. So, <laughs> like, I, like I mentioned, uh, time to put the headlamps on. There and you uh, still, you still, that's the way you could extend the the daylight hours just a little bit Dave. all right bob thank you and uh, what's going on fun. at the farmer's market are they closed for the season well, now they're shifting now into greens and they'll ah. be open this weekend so uh christmas trees are going to be coming in a lot of the greens so that's still happening again local product locally produced so we want to thank you we had a good growing season our, our growers did uh, uh very well this year i think overall so mm-hmm. we're very appreciative for all the Good things you folks do to help us get the word out. All right, Bob, thanks. We'll catch you again next Tuesday. Absolutely, Dave. Stay warm, stay dry, <laughs> and we'll talk with you next week. You Take bet. Care. The Bob Olin Show has been brought to you by Dan's Garden Center.
located in Dan's Feed Bend in Superior. And by WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig.